know, potentially Asaph, who wrote a couple of the Psalms also. And, uh, and isn't it amazing? You know, I'll go into to Walmart, just a, an aside to this Psalm, talking about worship and music. You know, I, I listen to Christian music, uh, uh, worship, you know, whatever. In a, I'll go into Walmart and a song that I haven't put on my radio, and I probably said this before, in 30 years comes on and I know word for word every word the band all the words you know I can think of other songs you know that's how amazing music is and and worship and what it's meant to do it's meant to remind us right I know you know we've had kids and we've counseled people you know kids having night terrors or 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 bad dreams or whatever hey turn the worship music on at night Right? Allow the word of God to wash over them. Wake up to it. Hear it. Listen to it. Put it in your hearts. It's important. Right? It's, it's hugely, vastly important. So that's why David puts this psalm, Psalm 139, uh, to music. It's, it's theological. It talks about God's omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. But it's way more than that. It's not, not to be strictly doctrinal or theological it's personal it's applicable David as he surveys his life of all his high highs and low lows David looks and and pens this psalm in light of the the God that he knows the one that the the one that where David would say the Lord is my shepherd right and and he's reflecting on the God that he knows and and so 49 times in this psalm uh, he uses personal pronouns, I, me, my. David makes this psalm so personal, right? And, and David had, he was a man he, that had high highs and low lows, right? We were, I remember we were in, in Africa uh, not too long ago, back in March. And, uh, you know, we did a VBS, and one of the VB, and in our VBS we did a skit, and in the skit, uh, uh, Chad had his stilts, his drywall stilts there because we were doing some ceilings. And Chad all of a sudden became Goliath, right? That's one of the Sunday school teachings. Everyone here, if you've been to Sunday school or church for any amount of time, one of the teachings you probably got was David and Goliath, right? And, and really it freaked the kids out uh, in Africa. Like uh, he, he was up there screaming and the older boys, probably 13, 14, 15, 16, I'm like, hey, you want to go fight him? Like, no, 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 man, they're leaning on me. Like, come on, let's go, let's do it. You can get them, you can take them. No, and these kids were like, this is serious. Like, these are older kids, like, they'd have a driver's license if they were in America, and they were afraid of Chad on these stilts. Uh, and that's one of David's high highs, if you know that story, right? David is not uh, uh, going to let this uncircumcised Philistine talk about the Lord that way. And, and David goes to war with this guy and, and takes him out, right? Uh, that's his high high, his low low, right? It, several, David had several. One of the ones that is so unfortunate is, is uh, Bathsheba, right? As he stays home, as the kings go forth to battle, and David observes from his window this woman taking a bath. It's one of those ones you don't want to teach in Sunday school, the ones that you avoid. Like, that's not on the list uh, of Sunday school curriculum teachings. Uh, but that's one of David's low lows. And un unfortunately, usually... Uh, what tattoos a man and what leaves a mark on the man are their low lows, isn't it? 
It's not the high highs that we remember in our mind all the time that we, we, we go from day to day. Oh, man, man, I remember I did that or I did. Usually, and the devil's right there to remind you of your low lows, your weak points, the times in your life when you failed. Uh, and, and so if that's you today, if you've had some low lows as a believer, and I have, and, and, and if you're breathing here today and, and you've got skin and bone, like me, you've had low lows, probably things that, you know, you're embarrassed of or you don't want people to know about. This psalm is for you. Get to know it. Get familiar with it. David is a, a, a seasoned saint who reflects on who God is in his life. And he applies it to his life. He says, this is, you know, for me, this is mine. We need to apply the Word of God, not just know the Word of God in your mind, not just memorize a scripture. Do that. It's important, right? When the, when the sword drills that, that you're in. Uh, but you need to apply the Word of God. Every, you know, I, I'll teach the kids. I do discipleship with the kids and, and some chapels and over the years. And I've told the kids, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I say, you know what? Write your name in there. For God so loved you. Make that personal. And I've, I've shared that before, and I've had kids say, hey, look it, I still got my name in my Bible. Years later, two, three, four, five, six years later, they're sti they still have the Bible with their name written in it that they get to read. For God so loved you, not just the world, not just general, it's you. And that's what David does here in this psalm. He, he makes it so personable, personal and, and applicable. So it says this in verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Uh, to search something, that word there is a mining term. It's to dig deep, you know, and they would mine things. They're hand digging. They're hand digging, and they're, they're digging in the earth for gold or silver or whatever it is, and that's the way God is searching your life and mine. He's digging inside the cracks and crevices of your life and looking inside, and, he's, and he says, David says, and you've known me completely. Fully, when, when Lee and I, 20-some years ago, were, were courting, were getting to know each other, uh, and, 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 and that was fun, right? And, uh, you know, there's a lot of weddings going on this summer, some coming up, some have passed, uh, and, and different, you know, marriage counseling that I do, premarital counseling, I always warn the couples, hey, listen, right now, they're putting their best foot forward. There's something you may not know about these, this person until after you meet them, after you're with them for a month or two or three or six or a year, right? They're, you know, and, 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 but that's, that's fun to get to know your spouse. And, and, uh, and Lee and I enjoyed that. As soon as we got married, we went on our honeymoon. We went to Canada for a week on a, just a, a, a lake, just in the middle of nowhere. And... Uh, it was inexpensive, and I thought, that's right up my alley. So Lee and I went there, and one day I'm like, all right, let's rent a boat, and we'll go fishing. And we went out on, on the lake and went fishing in this little, you know, uh, little rowboat that had this tiny little motor on it. And I, you know, basically I told her I was, should have been on TV for fishing, and I didn't catch a single fish. So we're, we're tooling around the lake, and we're so far away from the, the, the cottage, and all of a sudden it starts raining. 
And I start barking orders, Leah, get the, you know, I'm yelling at her, yelling at her, and she's like going slow. I'm like, come on. And then we got it, you know, all set where we pulled into the dock. I'm like, hon, I, I probably didn't tell you that I'm, I'm the captain of that ship, did I? <laughs> you know, you didn't know that about me before we got married, but now you know who I am, right? I'm the captain. So she got to see another side of me, like I was stressing out because we were so far away. It's pouring rain, like really raining. Then you were driving in this boat. I was stressing out. She wasn't going fast enough. And, and, but, it, you know, she didn't know that about me, but God knows that stuff about you. God knows all those things about you. Every little thing, every nook and cranny of your heart, things you don't want people to know, God knows. He said, you've searched me and you know me. And now my wife knows me better than probably anyone, and she challenges me, and she encourages me, and she keeps me in check at times that I need that. The Lord knows us even better than that. People shock us, we shock ourselves, but the Lord's never shocked with what you're capable of. He's never shocked with what you're capable of. In fact, he knew everything David would do before he called him, before he said, this is a man after my own heart. Samuel, go anoint him. He's a man after my own heart. He knew David's high highs and low lows. He wasn't surprised. He called him to be king. He's, he, the psalmist says, David says, you've searched me and you've known me. The idea is that you've searched me and known me and you love me in spite of that. That's the idea. God, you've searched me. That's, that's David's assessment here. He's like, God, you've searched me, you've known me, and you still love me. It's the, it's, that was the testimony of the woman at the well, right? Jesus finally gets down to the nitty-gritty of what's going on in her life. She's had five husbands. The one she's living with isn't her husband. And, and all of a sudden, uh, he reveals himself as the Messiah. And she runs into Samaria and says, hey, come see a man who knows everything about me and still loves me, right? That's her testimony to the, the Samaritan men. Her, her, her sphere of influence and witness is only to the men, right? She, she's been, in, you know, that kind of girl for a long time. And she comes face to face to Jesus, with Jesus, Jesus Christ and, and her testimony, she's so excited that come and meet a man who knows everything about me, knows my whole life, and he still loves me in spite of who I am, in spite of who I've been. Charles Spurgeon said, the master magnet of the gospel is not fear, but love. It's not fear, but love. That's what draws people. It's the goodness of God. Turn to Jeremiah 31 with me for a second. If we ever question God's love, you ever have that question before? Jeremiah is speaking to a rebellious nation here in Jeremiah chapter 31. He's speaking to a nation that has lived in idolatry and rebellion. In verse 3 it says, The Lord appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness... Have I drawn thee? 
I've loved you with an everlasting love. It hasn't changed. My love for you hasn't changed. Even when God chastens us, the Bible says that he chastens those he loves. He has to correct us, right? Because we'll hurt ourselves. That's why I correct my kids. He says, Lord, you've searched me and known me. Verse 2 says, you know my down-sitting. I'm sorry, go back to Psalm 139. You know my down-sitting and my uprising. You understand my thought afar off. Right? I read this psalm to my kids a few weeks ago because I wanted to encourage them about these things. That God knows you. He loves you. He made you just the way you are. That's some of what this psalm covers. Like, God made you. He knows you. He knows your failures. He knows when you lay down. Because our kids are are under a tremendous amount of pressure. With friends and relationships, this world, their looks, what they wear, how they talk. And they're sorting all that stuff out. And I wanted them to know and I wanted to be clear with them what the Bible says, that our identity is in Jesus Christ. Right? He's the one that made you. He's the one that called you. He's the one that knows you. We live in a day that not just our kids, uh, but people in general, They hear with their eyes, and they think with their emotions, right? They think with their emotions, and and every little thing turns them this way and that way, and the world has people spinning. David says, you know when I lay down and when I get up. Why you stay up late, why you can't sleep, why you bury your head in the pillow and cry at night. He knows all those things. The Bible actually says that he catches your tears and keeps them in a bottle. He knows what makes you cry. He knows what makes you sad. He knows what's going on in your heart and why you are who you may not even know. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the Bible says that I, the Lord, search the hearts and I try the reins, the deep parts, the things inside. He knows. And and he says, you know my thought afar off. Not only what we're going to think, but why. The process before it even comes. And Jesus knows the right questions to to ask, doesn't he? Adam and Eve sinned. God knew that they were going to do that. And then God comes to them and says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Right? Not that he didn't know where Adam was. But he gets Adam thinking along the right train of thought and right processes. Where am I? What happened? Why, how did I get here? What happened in my life? What, 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 what crossroad in, in my life did you say go left and I went right? What happened to my life? To Hagar, he says, you know, why, what are you, why are you here? Where are you coming from? And where are you going? What what are you doing? Why are you here? He says, go back. Right? He asks the fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, have you caught anything? 
What's going on in your life? Is there, any, is there anything in your boat? Are you being fruitful today? God knows all the right questions to ask. He gets our heart churning and our mind spinning and thinking properly. He asked Mary, you know, what are you seeking? What are you after? Because bad thinking can lead to bad living. That's what David did in 1 Samuel 27. David said in his heart, all of a sudden, you know, God's protecting him here and, 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 and holding on to him here and Saul's chasing him. And all of a sudden, David says one day, you know, one day surely I'm going to perish at the hand of Saul. And he flees to Gath, enemy territory, right? It's one of the low lows of David's life. Runs to enemy territory for help, for sanctuary, for, for protection. Why? Because he has the wrong thought processes and he believes his feelings and emotions over what God's told him, that you're going to be the next king. That's why I anointed you. And God is protecting him. We have to be very careful. And David's reminded of all that. You know my down-sitting, my uprising. You saw me in the caves. You saw me in all those different places when Saul was seeking my life. You know my thought processes. You know why I ran to Gath. And you know what it took to get me back. He says, verse 3, You compass it, it my path. And my lying down, you're acquainted with all my ways. You know my manners. We're all different. There's different forks in the road. You know, we went to the Thousand Islands this year. Uh, we go there every year uh, for a week and camp. Uh, if you've ever camped, you know what camping is. I don't have to explain that. It can be not fun sometimes. But I got this camper that I'm hauling, and my wife's a few miles behind me. She couldn't see me. And we've gone there for, you know, six years or so. It's the same, you know, 390 to 90 to 81. You're in the Thousand Islands. You're there, right? And so for some reason, she's supposed to be behind me, and she calls me. I'm on 90. She's like, I'm, on, I'm heading to 104. I'm like, you're heading to 104? What? Why? You're supposed to be watching me. Just to see, right? And that sometimes our GPS does that, doesn't it? It's unfriendly. And we end up in places we never expected to be. We end up doing things we never expected to do. There's crossroads in our lives and things in our lives that happen. We end up on the wrong route, heading to the wrong location. And God knows all that. He says, you, you, you understand my path. You compass it, 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 or it means you comprehend. It's the word where, where we get our word to winnow or sift wheat, right? It, it literally means that God is active in your life. If you've ever seen that, I always think of the Little House on the Prairie. Uh, there's an episode where all the, all the wives, all the ladies had to get together and do that with their wheat. There was a storm, and they had to get all the wheat together, and they're winnowing it, throwing it up in the air, separating the wheat from the chaff and the stalks, and that's the process God is in your life. He's active. He cares about what you're going through. He knows that you made the wrong turn. He said go left, and you went right, and he's active even there. And David sees that, man, you know. 
You're active. You're acquainted. That means it's to our profit. David can look back and he sees God's hand on his life. He's going to say more about that. But here's what God's saying. I know all about you. Let me help. I know everything about you. I want to step in and help. I'm I'm working. Surrender to me. Submit to my hand. I love you. Right? And David sees that love here. And verse 4, it says, There's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. He goes from thoughts to words. What we say and why we say it. And there's so much power in our words. Isn't there? You know, uh, Solomon says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. James says that, that, that it's, it can be a world of iniquity. That's our tongue and our words. And, 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 and David's like, Lord, you know every word on my tongue. You know it all together. You know everything that I'm going to say. And, and you're sifting that too. You're working in that too. Things that we've said, words that we've said that, that we wish we could take back that had serious consequences. God's working in that too. He says, you've beset me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. To beset, or your Bible may say hedged, it means he's secured you, he's guarded you. He's hostile towards invaders. David surveys his life, and it comes into focus. He's like, Lord, you've, you, as I look back, I see that you've protected me, and you're still protecting me. And you've laid your hand on me. There's so much uh, security in that, right? My kids wake up from having a nightmare or whatever, and they want a hug. They want to embrace. They want to know they're protected. They run to dad or mom, and, and, and they just want a touch. Takes the fear away. And that's what David's like. You've laid your, God, you've laid your hand on me. You've touched my life. I sense your touch. I know your touch. I see what you've been doing. And he's looking back, applying it to our our lives, but he's laying it out before us, too, that we can hold on to that. And and kids need affection, don't they? Some of my kids need more affection. They just, Dad, I'll see you later. You know, kiss, kiss, kiss. Like, all right, that's enough, right? Kiss, 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 hug, hug, hug. Wow. And that's my boys. (laughs) That's a lot of hugging. Right? But there's security in that. They want to know they're loved. And then he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. Man, it's out of my grasp. I can't get the full knowledge of that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with me for just a second. a great scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 says, even when we were dead in sins, like what can a dead man do? When we were dead in sins, he's quickened us or made us alive together in Christ. He says, for by grace are you saved. 
And it says that he raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then it says, verse 7, that in the ages to come, the eons, forever and ever, the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It's going to take forever. That's why David's like, I can't, I can't understand it. Well, well, Paul expounds on that. It's like, it's going to take forever to learn God's grace. You're going to be learning that forever. Who he is and how much he loves you and what he's done in your life. It's amazing. So much more than we know. Verse 7 says, and, uh, and whither should I, shall I go from your spirit? And whither shall I flee from your presence? He asks a question because he's tried to do that. He's tried to flee God's presence. He's tried to run from God's will in his life and his purposes in his life. Like I said, he ended up in Gath and Ziklag on enemy turf in the wrong place. He stayed home when kings went to battle and ended up with Bathsheba, not only committing adultery but murder. Anytime you're outside of God's will, even though God sees it, he loves you, his hand's on your life, man, we're vulnerable, aren't we? You're outside of fellowship, prayer, the word of God, Bible, you know, with other believers, man, you're vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. David says, where, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? I, he's, because he's tried. He says, if I ascend to heaven, verse 8, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. Man, if I ascend to heaven, the best days, our devotions, man, we've heard from the Lord. We've, we've sat with the Lord. We've heard from him in the word of God. Uh, you're there. He says, but if I d descend, if I make my bed in hell, our worst days, they're awful, we're distant, sinful, walking in our own rebellion. He says, man, you're there. You're right there. Some people say, man, he made his bed and now he's got to lie in it, right? It's your fault. You're getting what you deserve. David realized that the Lord didn't give up on him. We give up on people, but he doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on us. He goes after that one sheep, and he waits patiently for the prodigal. Maybe your life has felt like hell. Maybe that's where you've been. The Lord's calling you back. He's calling you back. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. It's the worst place to be. When you know the Lord and you're living in rebellion and sin, I've been there. I thought about, I mentioned this every once in a while, we'll, we'll joke around here and I I. I joke around and say this verse ever this this not verse yeah right it's a movie scene uh, it's indiana jones if you've never seen them don't worry about it if you have 
uh, in, in the last crusade. They're looking for the map to the secret canyon of the crescent moon. It was torn out of the book, and, and uh, Indiana Jones is being interrogated. And, and a guy says to him, hey, we need that map. We need to know where it is. And the woman says, he'll never tell us. And he doesn't have to. Because I know where it is. He gave it to Marcus Brody, right? <laughs> Sean's laughing. Maybe you've seen this part in the movie. He gave it to Marcus Brody, and then Sean Connery's like, you gave it to Marcus Brody? He's not strong enough to handle that. He can't do that. And then the man speaks up again and says, don't worry, we'll find him. He sticks out, he'll stick out like a sore thumb. And then Indiana Jones, the, the famous scene, he says, no way, you'll never find him. He's got a two-day head start, which is more than he needs. He has friends in every town and village from here to the Sudan. He speaks a dozen languages. He knows every local custom. He'll blend in. He'll disappear. You'll never see him again. And with any luck, he has the grail already. And then it flashes to Marcus Brody in the middle of some Middle Eastern market in a British accent saying, does anyone here speak English or know ancient Greek? And he's like, sticks out like a sore thumb, right? And that's what it's like to be a Christian and walk away from the Lord in this world, you stick out like a sore thumb, just like Marcus Brody. And I've been, and I only know that because I've been there. I've been there, man. I, I, I told my kids when I was reading this to them, I read it to them a couple weeks ago, I, I, I told them, man, there was a time in my life, real men love Jesus, I had it on my truck. Right when I first got saved and within six months I backslid, for about six months, worst time of my life, horrible, worst feeling ever. I remember tearing that script, that bumper sticker off my truck. Real men love Jesus. And then I, I, I and I, I, telling my kids that was humiliating, even. Right, terrible feeling. It's the work you don't fit in in the world, but what you're doing, you don't feel close to the Lord, and and and. And David, David says, even there, if I, if I take the outermost, you know, the wings of the morning and dwell in the outermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. David realized that God had him right there too. You're not going to fit in in this world. You're not meant to. He says, surely if I say, the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light, they're both alike to you. There's no hiding. He knows when our drifting starts, because our drifting starts in our heart. It's not just our feet. Something's going on long before our feet starts drifting. There's something in our heart that's churning, that's drifting, becoming distant. And we think we can hide it, and we can't. Paul, we don't have time to turn there, but Paul in Romans 8, if you're familiar with it, he poses a question, what can separate us from the love of Christ? And then he says, can tribulation, persecution. He goes through this, this whole list. And the final assessment is, what can separate us? It's nothing. 
No created. Finally, he says, and nothing created, no created being can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. He loves you that much, and he loves me that much. Even when we're at our worst, he saw that. There's nothing he didn't see or know. And then David rolls into how he was created, and I, and I shared that with my kids. Part of the reason why I read this psalm to him. He says, you've possessed my reins. You've covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knows right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, and yet being imperfect and in all thy books all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them right they don't you know kids struggle we struggle people struggle at times you know with lots of things their looks their friends their future all these different things their purpose and it's all found in Christ your identity it's all found in Jesus Christ. You're never going to be satisfied with anything that God says, watch out for that. Stay away from that. It'll never satisfy you. You can ask Eve. There's a purpose in it. And, and our kids are so different. People are so different, right? God made all my kids are all so different. I remember hearing a pastor say, you know, one son he had, he doesn't even know if he, you know, I'm pretty sure he went to school. He got a degree. I dropped him off there, but I never saw a book report, never saw anything. He just did it. That's the way Lydia was. Lydia was like, oh, wow, Lyd, how'd you learn to study like that? Wow, you're getting great grades. That's awesome. What, what, what are you doing? What are you? And she was just studious, academic. Not all my kids are that way. Some of them are like, where's your books? What do you mean you left them at school? What do you mean I got to drive back to school? This is ridiculous, right? They're all different. They all have, you know, some of them, uh, uh, you know, they excel academically. Some of them excel probably too much socially. That's okay. That's the way God made them. God made us all different ways. Not everyone's going to do the same thing or be the same, you know. Uh, I remember hearing a pastor say, you, know, you have one kid and you think, you know, you have another one and you think, all right, that's opposite. And you think if you have another one, what's the, you know, what else is opposite? Then they're all over the map. Like this one's over here, this one's here, and they're all different. So diverse. And that's the way it is uh, a lot of times. God made us with purpose. And that was my point to my kids. Man, God just, you, you have a purpose. God made you just the way you are. It's okay. And you'll never be satisfied outside of God's purpose, purposes. So it says this, and, and, and to touch on, obviously, abortion is like the, a hot topic in the news today. In Exodus chapter 21, it was a capital crime. God said it's a capital crime if you harm a woman and she loses her baby. That was considered a capital crime because that's a child. 
Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1 just for a second. And this is through the whole Bible. David says, before I was formed, you knew me. Jeremiah chapter 1. It says, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that that were in Anoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign, it came to pass came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, under the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, <laughs> sorry, king of Judah, under the carrying way of Jerusalem, uh, captive, captive in the fifth month. I could have started here in verse 4. <laughs> <laughs> then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, before I made you, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you, I set you apart, and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. And then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I can't speak, right? You thought you made me this way, but I feel like I'm this way. You said I'm a prophet, but Lord, I can't even speak. For I'm a child, but the Lord said unto me, don't say that, I'm a child, for you shall go to all that I shall send me. And whatsoever I command thee, you're going to speak. And be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth. Man, there's God's touch in a life. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations, and the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, and to build, and to plant. That's God's mission on a man's life, a call before he was even born. It's a life. It's not viable tissue. It's a person. And then he says, verse 17, How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they're more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with thee. Precious thoughts, right? That's David's like, I can't believe you're thinking of me this way, God. After all I've done, they're precious thoughts. Amazing thoughts. Somebody did the math and they said, you know, they calculated the, the, the grains of sand uh, in the world, and, and when, when David's writing this, he's not thinking of Myrtle Beach. He's thinking of a desert where everywhere you look, there's sand everywhere, right? And somebody calculated how many grains of sand there were and, and then how long someone lives and how many seconds are in their life, and they figured it, it's uh, 10 to the 17th power per second. That's what God is thinking about you. If that's even possible. I don't know. That's a lot. Precious thoughts, good thoughts. That's what he told, you know, everyone has that scripture uh, in Jeremiah 29. You know, I know the thoughts I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope and expected end, right? And, and he's telling that, he says, I know the thoughts I think towards you. 
They're not the thoughts you think I think towards you because you're in rebellion, right? It was a nation in rebellion. I know what you're thinking, God's saying in Jeremiah, and that's not what I'm thinking, thinking good thoughts, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end, a future and a hope. That's his thoughts towards us. Towards us, It's opposite of the way we think God, we think God's out to get us, waiting for us to step out of line. And then he says this, and we're going to close with this. It says, verse 19, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? He says, I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. And then he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What David is saying here is born out of love and appreciation and loyalty. David loves God so much, man, and there's people out there that are taking his name in vain, that are idolatrous, that are totally against uh, the one true living God, and David is getting angry. He's loyal. He appreciates God's love. And then at the end, he's like, I hate him with perfect hatred, God. Not just I hate him, I, it's perfect hatred. Trust me. <laughs> I hate him with perfect, right? And there, if you have perfect hatred, you're fine to hate someone. You can have perfect hatred, right? I think, I think David is like, all right, Lord, search my heart. I do, I'm angry with these people. I'm upset. But those are the, sometimes the very people God wants to reach and touch and save. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 lists all kinds of sin that keeps you out of the, the kingdom of God. And they will, apart from God's forgiveness. Any sin will keep you out of the kingdom of God. But then Paul says, and such were some of you. It's who you were. Apart from Jesus Christ, that's what you were. You were an idolater, an adulterer, a thief, all those different things. But you're, you're, you're redeemed. Paul never lost sight of who he used to be so he could reach those yet to be. And you can read of Paul's testimony several times in the book of Acts, Galatians, Chapter 1. And I think David here is saying, ah, Lord, search my heart. I don't want to get too angry. I don't want to go too overboard. David at other times says, Lord, I'll break their teeth in their mouth. Smash their teeth out, right? You ever feel that way? If you're not, you're not human. Or breathing. We can be that way. We need to remember who we used to be. That was such were some of you. If you're sitting here today, if you're sitting here today and you don't know the Lord, today's the day you can because He's been watching your life, observing your life. He knows what you're going through and He knows, He knew your GPS target was going to be here this morning. He knew of all the different choices you had to make and the crossroads in your life, you'd be sitting here. 
And you need to know Jesus Christ loves you so much, He died for you. For all your sins, everything that would separate you from your God. You can know Him today. If you're sitting here today as a prodigal, you can know today that God still loves you. That you can't go too far, that He's not there watching what's going on in your life. And you can know His thoughts, even when you're in rebellion, His thoughts towards you are good. They're of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end, a future, and a hope. He cares. Loves you. If you're trying to do life on your own, and hopefully you don't succeed, but if you're succeeding, you're healthy, you don't have any financial burdens on your life, uh, even if you get through this whole life with never a problem, you lose because you never got to know the God who really loves you and created you. You need to. Today's the day you can. It's a prayer away. He knows your thoughts. He knows your cares. So we'll just pray. If anybody wants to come up to pray after, uh, feel free to come up. We can pray. You can know the Lord. You can come back if you're a prodigal. You can get encouragement. Lord, we're, we're thankful for your word. I'm thankful for David. Lord, you called him a man after your own heart, and yet you saw all the highs and all the lows. You loved him. Lord, we're, we're human. I'm so thankful for your word. I see all these people in the Bible, God, that you've chosen. And, and many of them have high highs, but so many of them are just human. All of them are just human. They have flaws. And we can relate to that, Lord. So thankful for your love, God, that, that uh, Ephesians says that we're going to spend all of eternity learning of your love and grace, who you really are and what you really did in our lives, Lord. We're just getting a little taste of it here. We get a little taste, God. We're thankful for that taste. Um, just pray for people. You know where everyone's at here today. You know, if, uh, even though people are sitting here, Lord, what, where their heart's at. If people are drifting, wandering in their hearts, pray you draw them back to you, Lord. Help them to know your love, their purpose, the, the forbidden fruit uh, that, that uh, is there, Lord. Is, is, uh, you didn't say you'd kill them. Uh, you were worried that it would kill them. Sin and rebellion has that danger. So I pray you draw people today, Lord. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for your word. It's alive. It's living. Uh, pray that, that uh, for people here today that are unfamiliar with Psalm 30, 139, that they get familiar with it so they can know you more in greater ways, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If anyone needs prayer, you can come up. Uh, if not, have a great day. We'll see you guys next week, hopefully. If the Lord doesn't come back first. Hmm?